Amen. Good morning, Identity Church. This morning, we're going to continue with part two of the there where you are called. You know, last week we had a, a, a good, I think it was a good parallelism between Joseph and Elijah. And we found out that Joseph took the calling that God had put in his heart through those dreams and he just lived his life. He lived his life as a slave. He lived his life as a prisoner. And then finally he lived his life as basically the ruler of all of Egypt. Now, Elijah, on the other hand, he spent about three years and he did, God just took care of him. He was in a waiting mode and he wanted to do something great, spectacular. And when he finally got a chance where God had finally got him away from the, um, the brook Cherith and got him away from the, the widow woman's house, he goes and he calls fire down from heaven. He does all this stuff, but he, he eventually just gives up on his calling. And you know, one of the things that I wanted to point out about that is he did anoint Elijah and Elijah went on Elisha, I'm sorry, Elisha went on and fulfilled every one of the callings. But do you know that there was, just like in Moses, you know, Moses, Moses actually extended by 30 years the children of Israel coming out. He went in Sinai Desert, right, for 40 years. Well, that was 10 years. It actually says in the Bible, it was 10 years before he was supposed to. So think about this. There was thousands upon thousands of people that were being enslaved and, and being, you know, having to build buildings and build their bricks, remember? And Moses was at 400 years was supposed to go and take them out of the prom, take them out under the promised land. But just like that, about 40 years later for Elijah, if Elijah had went ahead and, and anointed the kings you probably would have seen a much less time frame. It might not have been exactly, you know, the moment that he anointed them that the kingdoms would have been great. But it took 40 years before Elisha even knew. For Elisha went and anointed those kings to actually do what they were supposed to do. We actually see that in 2 Kings chapter uh, 4. So, we need to understand that our calling and our there is a, is a place where we, we're supposed to take those things on. We're supposed to be the ones that do that. We're not supposed to wait around for somebody else to do it because it's going to extend the time. When God tells us to do something where he says, go and do these things, go do them. We saw that we much rather would want to be a Joseph than an Elijah, right? See, I strive every day, which I'm not in prison nor am I slave, so I've got it a whole lot better. And by the way, I've got it a whole lot better than Elijah. I don't have birds and stuff bringing me pieces of meat and bread by the brook chair. I'm going to tell you, it would have been tough. A few months there, I probably would have been like Elijah. I'd have been like, hey, God, get me out of here. What are you doing? But today... I wanted to bring a New Testament, um, a New Testament person that I think is one of the great, uh, one of the great disciples, and 
he was so great that he actually said that he was the most beloved of all the disciples. I mean, this is how great this guy was, is that he himself was like, no, I'm the one that loved Jesus. You know, John, I, I love when people are arrogant about the things that you need to be arrogant about. You know, I'm, I'm fine when somebody says, I love Jesus and I'm the beloved one. Some people say, oh, that just really... It puts me off by people. Uh, you know, um, I, I actually like when Frank Manchin would say, well, I'm the, you know, I would, I would talk to him and he goes, well, I'm, by God, I'm the blessed and highly favored of the Lord. And I'd be sitting there and everybody would go, oh, what is he saying? And then he would go, but you are too. <laughs> you know that I like it when people say, I'm going to take on the promises that I'm supposed to take on. I'm not going to just sit back and go, well, you know, maybe I am. Maybe I should be. No. John said, no, I'm the beloved. I was the disciple that Jesus loved the most. Do you know why he did that? It's because he, he saw Jesus' love. And he took it in when the other disciples were just trying to take in, what, what do I need to do next? You know, in our lives, we tend to just think about the next thing that we're supposed to do. But do you know that Jesus was always trying to get them to live in the moment and say, you're loved now. You have God's love now. Don't worry about the future. What does it say in Matthew chapter 6? It says, don't worry about the future because it has its own problems. Worry about today. And he goes, God loved you so much that he clothed you even better than Solomon. Better than the birds of the field. Do you know that God loves us so much? That was as much as Matthew could muster. I love, I love the chosen because Matthew is sort of um, has Asperger's or something or whatever. And I can actually probably see that when I'm reading through Matthew now. I'm like... The chosen has messed my ideal. Every time I read it, I think of Matthew the Matthew the actual, you know, he's the tax collector. Well, he had to be good at math. Well, I mean, when I watch the chosen now and I go, well, that's a good possibility. Maybe he was because so, when you think about it, he's very analytical. Matthew is very analytical. You go through and read it. And I know I'm going off on a trail here, but I want you to understand that John was trying to bring about the most important things. Not just the things that was supposed to be, but he was trying to capture the essence of who Jesus was. So what we see here is John's first call. Now John, John was the youngest, right? Everybody wants to put John at like 14, 15 years old when all this was going on. But John was actually, they believe he was born between 6 A.D. and 10 A.D. So he was about 13 years younger than Jesus. Okay? So he was, he was about 20 to 23 in that, in that range when Jesus went to the cross. Okay? Now, he was younger than everybody else. But, you know, one of the things I want you to understand is, is that when the scholars are putting all this together, you're going to get time frames, right? You'll get like a four-year time frame and be like, well, 
we think Paul was born between this time and this time. They didn't have any records. I mean, every, every society has been burned down and rebuilt over time. So they come back and they give you kind of a time frame. So you can go study this out. There are tons of like back and forth, but you'll find out that from like, especially if you go read things like from, um, you know, the early church writings, Britannica has a ton of this stuff. You go and find it in there. And it talks about how he was either born between 6 AD and 10 AD. But we find out that if, that he was somewhere in his early teen or late teens, early 20s. We'll just go in there. But John, the beloved, John the beloved basically shows up, Zebedee's his father. Now, Zebedee was like, they said he was zealous. Very, you know, the sons of thunder, all these different people. And you had John and James that became that became uh, disciples. Well, of the disciples, John's the one that actually was the beloved. He was the one that stayed closest to Jesus. Every other person is fighting against each other to try to get into some ranks, right? John didn't care. John would just sit there and go, hey, I'm just going to go eat dinner with Jesus. I'm not going to worry about all that other stuff. And you know what? What John got and what the rest of the disciples got was two different things altogether. So we're going to see some of that today. So the first calling of John besides becoming a disciple was in John 19, 25 through 27. It says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and, the, and his mother's sister, uh, Mary, the wife of uh, Calopas, and Mary Magdalene. And I found this picture. I thought it was kind of interesting because you can see kind of people in the background. It, it matches a lot of the, you know, because it's Jesus on the cross, Magdalene, Mary Magdalene's down there, you know, hugging his feet. And then you've got John and Mary that are sitting there. And then you've got the, the, the two other ladies um, that are behind them. But what I wanted to point out here is that in verse 26, it says, when Jesus therefore saw his mother, he's on the cross now, remember, and the disciples whom, the disciple whom he loved, standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Well, this word home right here has got little boxes around it. It means you can't find it in the Greek. It basically, I, I take away home a lot of times. He made, he, he personally said, you're my mom. He loved Jesus so much that he said, no, I'm your brother now. This is my mother. Mary is my mother. I made her my own. And from that point on, everything that he did centered around his own mother. So why John? It was pretty simple. You know, John loved Jesus, and in return, he loved Mary. You know that, and Heather and I was talking about this week, 
You can find all these scriptures where he went into his own hometown and he could do no mighty works. And people would say, isn't this the son of the carpenter? Isn't Mary? Didn't we play with his sisters and his brothers? See, I believe that it was not until quite some time later that his actual family, other than Mary, actually said Jesus is Lord. And we can actually find some scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15. It actually says that Jesus reappeared. Paul is telling of this. And he said, he said, all of these new disciples are people that had seen Jesus, had been with Jesus, and believed in Jesus. And he points out James and the rest of the family. So I kind of believe that James being the oldest brother behind Jesus was kind of like, I don't know about this dude. He's always been weird from the time we were a kid. All my friends think he's a weirdo. I don't know if he's really doing all this stuff because every time he comes to the hometown, everybody kind of stays away from him. Well, he, the family was not really in Jesus' court until after the resurrection. And then we find out after the resurrection, well, I'll give you this scripture here, Matthew 13, 5, you know, they basically said, is this not the carpenter's son? Isn't his uh, mother Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude? And I'm going to point out some things about them because they did become Christians. They did become prominent in the church at the time. In fact, in, uh, around, you know, around the time that Jesus came and, and showed them, Peter was over the church in Jerusalem. But Peter went through times of going off places. He also got arrested several times, and then he died. Peter actually ended up dying somewhere, you know, like 15, 15 to, to 18 years after Jesus' crucifixion. So the church was left over to James, the half-brother of Jesus. James, around 44 AD, 44 to 49 AD, wrote the first book of the New Testament. So he had the church. He also went and told all the things that he had learned of his brother. So when you read the book of James, you're actually seeing Jesus' half-brother tell you the way that he saw the church, the way that God was telling him to tell the church, and he was the first person to put it down. So Joseph, he was also a bishop. He was like another like associate pastor, if you will, of the church. Uh, there in Jerusalem. Jude, also a bishop in Jerusalem, he wrote the book of Jude around the time that Jerusalem fell. And he was trying to propagate and to keep people, you know, he was basically trying to, to write a, a letter to say, I want everybody to, to stay together. Even though the, you know, the Romans have come in and taken down Jerusalem. Jude was a part of that of that whole movement to keep the church going during that time frame. There's not very much that's written about Simon. Um, can't find too much. But what I will say is, is that after Jesus was resurrected and he came back, he showed himself to each one of his family members and they became a part of the movement of Jesus Christ. They started becoming a part of the church. They helped build the church, found the church. But you know what? Jesus didn't trust his mother to any of them. 
Think about that. That was one of the greatest calls that Jesus could make to someone is go take care of mama. Mama is important. And she went along with it, undoubtedly. Oh, yeah, she was, she was fine. She, in fact, we find out that, that Mary actually went back and forth between Jerusalem and Ephesus. It was a, they, lit, they had houses in both places. John was helping with the churches up there. In fact, John actually, towards the end of his life, he lived in Ephesus specifically. But many scholars believe that, that they had houses in both places. Um, there's, no, there's no time frame for when Mary died. So Mary could have lived to be 100. I mean, we don't know. There's, there's not a lot. Now, I'm going to tell you, you go out and you look up Mary's death, Mary's tomb, Mary's this, Mary's that. There's a lot of Catholic church stuff that is out there where they have made her go into heaven. Her body was, you know, her, her body was resurrected. I mean, there's all this stuff. But that was a bunch of stuff to make her a saint. Now, I will tell you that I don't really care one way or another. Because we're all going to be resurrected. It, it doesn't really matter to me one way or another. I mean, Mary could be... Mary could be walking around in a brand new body right now. I don't know. But what I want you to understand is, is that that's not the important piece of this. Mary has no significance in the perspective of the church being ran after Jesus' death. But he had significance to, she had significance to Jesus. She had significance to John. And John became her son. It was, it was as if though he never left her side, she never left his side until they died. Now, we do know that John came into his own around, around the time of 80 AD. We start getting letters from John. So we know that Mary was probably, was probably dead by this point. I mean, she would have been well over, you know, she would have been well over 90 to 100 years old by this point. But we see that the Gospel of John was written around 80 to 90 AD. Now, I want you to understand the church was going through a ton of flux. Jerusalem had fell. Romans had taken people out. There was all this heresy. If you went to, if you went to Turkey, if you went to any of the, you know, Philippi, if you went to any of these different places, there were people that were coming into the church that were getting saved. There were people coming into the church to try to create other false religions. There was all these different things that was going on. And so John, when he came on the scene, he wrote the Gospel of John to try to make people see who Jesus really was. Now you think, well, there was Matthew, there was Mark. Well, it wasn't like today. I can't send an email with, with the Gospel of Matthew or, or Mark or Luke to, you know, from here to Russia. I mean, you literally had areas where they had no teaching at all. Probably didn't even have an Old Testament Torah at all. They were literally, people were being taught by one person, they would go to the next town. That person would take everything that they knew and they were just being led by the Holy Ghost. So when John is in Ephesus and he's trying to, he's dealing with the churches that are up there that he was a part of, like him and Polycarp. 
Oh, go look up Polycarp. He was a, he was a bad sucker. I mean, Polycarp stayed by John's side pretty much the rest of his life. But Polycarp wrote, helped John write some of these books, was with him, was doing these things, was fighting against Gnosticism. Gnosticism was coming in and telling people, oh, you don't have any sin. You don't need to be saved. You're perfect as you are. There were people that were coming into the church that were trying to change the gospel. And so John would write the gospel of John to say, hey, y'all don't know about Jesus. I'm going to tell you about all the things that I saw with Jesus from the time that I was young all the way until now. Here's all the things that you need to know. In 1 John, it was all of the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John letters were written about the same time. It was somewhere between 90 and 95. Revelations was between 95 and 96. This was done around the same time. uh, This was done on the Isle of Patmos. So Domitian was was the emperor. He was the Caesar at the time. Now Domitian was a cruel, cruel person. And one of the things that we find out is is that only political dissenters got sent to Patmos. Now, you may be thinking, well, you know, John was a John was a, a dissenter because he was, you know, Domitian thought he was God, right? I mean, all the Caesars thought that they came from this line of God. Well, basically, this was the last place that Domitian could put him. Because according to uh, uh, Terlulan, and he wrote the prescription of heretics, uh, John was banished to the Isle of Patmos after being boiled in oil. So this old man, 85 to 90 years old, he, he, they throw him in a, in a vat of oil. He goes to swimming for a little bit, gets his, you know, gets his little you know, hot tub thing going on, and then he pops out. They couldn't kill him. Now you may be saying, well, that's just one of those, it's just one of those things that you know is a legend and that Terlulan. See, this was like a hundred years later that Terlulan writ, wrote this. I'm I may be getting it wrong. Don't worry about it. it, it it's a name. It, it's Terlulan. Okay, we'll go with it. But essentially, this is Dusty's belief, okay? Because I've read about Domitian. I believe that it is true that they tried to kill him probably multiple different ways. That they, that they threw him in oil and did all this. You may tell you why? Because his own nephew, he burned him at the stake for helping a Jew. See, he would go through, he was one of those that he believed in that the Jews were an awful thing because he was God. And somebody was saying, no, there was a one true God. So he went and he tried to destroy him. You can go read about all this. Domitian was a crazy man. He was insane. I mean, taking his own family when they were just trying to be nice to someone and burn their genitalia off, cut them up and send them across to show people that he was the true God. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty horrible. You wouldn't have just sent John, the person that was out there going, Domitian, I know the one true God. I lived with him. I walked with him. I saw him. 
Well, he would have tried to have burned him. He would have tried to have thrown him in oil. He would have tried to have done all that kind of stuff. The only reason why John was on Patmos and had the ability to do what he did is because Patmos was an island that was so far away from anything else. Just get him away from us. Don't let him preach this gospel because he's actually getting people saved. That's why he was put on Patmos. And you know what? While he's on Patmos, this old man, 90 years old, God reaches down from heaven and says, let me show you one more thing. And he gives him the book of Revelation to be able to give to the people. And they know that Polycarp and them took this book and they went and they, they revolutionized. You know, Paul wrote three quarters. John's the one that actually touched more than three quarters of the world with his gospel. You know that his gospel is the one that is mentioned more times on the internet than any time, than anything else. John 3.16 is the most used verse ever. In fact, the Guinness Book of World Records actually said that they, they kept up with it. And it's billions of times that people have Google searched it. Billions. John was given the essence of Jesus. See, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they knew him. They knew of him. They kept up with him. They gave you the facts as they saw it. But John gave you the essence of who Jesus was. So I, I actually, so they actually believe that, you know, there's 96 to 100 AD. Dusty's belief is that John died shortly after writing Revelations. I think that was the last thing, and I think he went on to be with Jesus. Um, that's just my belief because you can't find anything else. I don't think he would live much longer than that. There's not much to hold on to if you're out on the middle of a, you know, an island that you're doing nothing but mining ore. That was basically it. So what was John's second calling? You know, after he took care of mama, John's second calling was to take care of the church. And he went and did, uh, he, he taught against false teaching, Gnostic teaching. In fact, the first chapter of 1 John is about Gnostics that was in the church. Because he used terms like this, if you say that you have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us, from, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Those are strong words for an agnostic person. He was saying, look, I knew Jesus. Y'all don't know Jesus from, from Adam's house cat. I knew him and we had sin." Your agnostic teaching is false. We see that he also wrote these letters out to other parts of the church there in Ephesus because he was primarily in the, the Turkish area, what we consider Turkey now. It was Ephesus of the time. And it's, he, had a fault, he was going against false teaching where uh, in 2 John, it says one four. It says, and I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth, as we receive commandments from the Father, 
And now I plead with you, lady. So he's writing this to a lady. Well, John went from being John the Beloved to John the Elder because he's the oldest one left. By this time, there is no other disciple that was left. He's the oldest one. And he's writing to this lady there uh, in Ephesus and he's telling her, he's saying, look, I found that some of your children are walking right, some of them aren't. And it says, this is the love, in verse 6, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandments that you have heard from the beginning. You shall walk in it. For many deceivers has come or has gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh. So there was a teaching that said Jesus really didn't come in the flesh. Jesus came in the spirit. Jesus didn't come as a man. He was this, he showed up and just told people about things. See, he was having to set the church back right. He was having to create opportunities for the church to see rightness. And you know what? Because of his teachings, a hundred years later, people started, people started kicking heretics out. You had people that stood up and that said, no, we're not going to do this. So false religions. We see that in 3 John, he said, I wrote to the church, but um, Dietrephius, uh, I don't know if that's right or not, but that's just the way I, I'm going to pronounce it, who loves to have his preeminence among them does not receive us. Therefore I come and I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, uh, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So there were people that were taking Jesus' name and trying to create a whole other religious set. John was fighting against it. Jesus was calling him as a 90-year-old, as an 85-year-old man, to stand up to people who were trying to come in and take the church in a direction that it wasn't supposed to go. That was awesome. And I'm coming to the end right here, but I want you to understand that, that John was not too much different than what I would consider each and every one of us in this room. How many people in here are retired? Now that, oh dad, you work five days a week. I don't know how you can say you're retired. Heather's kind of going, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going back or not. But I will tell you this. Y'all aren't even old enough to start where John started. Do you know that most people think, I mean, I got, I got news for you. The world tells me that I'm, I'm 43, almost 44 years old. Well, you're too old. You know, they want to throw you away after 30. They want to tell you that you don't have what it takes because it's a young man's game. I got news for you. John was boiling oil at like 90 years old. I'm 43. I don't think I could withstand it. I mean, we're talking about if God calls you to your place called there. If he tells you to do something, do you know I found that most times people are called at 60 and 70 and 80 
And you know why? Because they got time. They got time to listen to God. They got time to go do what God tells them to do. They've got the time and they've got the wisdom and they got the ability to go and do these things. And they're there to help teach. They're there to help create opportunities. And you know what? John is an example to us all they took care of family. And then when family, when his family time was over, you know what? He was able to go and take care of the church. He was able to go take care of the people in the church. He was able to go and put a stop to heresy. This little Jewish man in the middle of Turkey, in the middle of Ephesus, I'm going to tell you what, that's bad to the bone, guys. That is an awesome testimony. Most people think, I gotta go find my rocking chair. John was saying, can somebody get me a towel after I get out of this vat of boiling oil? And then by the way, I'm gonna go to Patmos and I gotta go and I gotta dig up rock. And in between that, while I take my naps, Jesus is gonna show me stuff from the future and I'm gonna write it down. I guess one day I'll go home to be with him. You know, we watched a thing years ago. I think it was at VCF where they, had, they pro projected, but it was another church that did John. And they showed John as this guy with a cane and he's running around. And he's, because there's like in the book of martyrs and, and in all these different books, they talk about some of the things that people call legend, but that they broke his feet so he couldn't walk. And that his feet would grow back and he would go and, because he, Domitian didn't want him to preach the gospel. So they would do things like this. Okay, your first offense, we break your feet. We know this to be true. If I break your feet, you can't move around and tell people about your, your dissenting against the government. So I'm, I think that's perfectly a, a valid story. They broke John's feet. He couldn't go running around. The man's probably 80 years old at this point. Well, then the next offense, they boil him in oil. Didn't work. Then they put him on the Isle of Patmos. And what you've got to understand here is that John was just a man that was following God. He'd gotten saved. And guess what? He himself was the, was a, the figure, the last figure that showed the true knowledge of Jesus. We see this, his last calling some of his last most important things was to show the love of God. So John 3.16 is love and life. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That was the first. I got news for you. Without the book of John, you wouldn't know that. John went and set some stuff right. John was one of the first people to go and say, hey, I'm not even worried about the law. John doesn't write about the law at all. Now, Paul does. He said under Gamaliel, he knew about the law. John was just another fisherman. Come from a fishing family. All he knew was Jesus loves me. And so Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn it, but just to save it. You know what? In 1 John chapter 4, we find the love verses here, and it says, love overcomes fear. Love 
in verse 17, love has is been made perfect among us in this that we might have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. Do you know that perfect love was a concept that you could only find in parts of the Old Testament in, in Psalms? All the other people were really hard, like follow these commandments. Just love your brother. Well, guess what? John comes back and says, you don't love your brother without being loved first. You don't love people without knowing you're loved because it becomes a work. So John was against the work piece of it. He was like, look, if you know you're loved, you're gonna love other people. You know, it says here in verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. There cannot be reciprocation without first having love. There's no way. And you know what? In Revelations, I believe that God was just driving this home with John. So Revelations 1, 4 through 6, the first four chapters of Revelations is to the current church. Okay? So John was, the first four things that John saw was to the current church. You know it's to be the case because when you go to the fourth chapter, it says, it says that he heard a voice that says, come up here. That's when Revelation gets into the future. Okay? There's, it actually happens twice because John goes back and forth between today and then the future. And every time you heard a voice say, come up here, it was, I'm going to show you some new things. But the first few chapters of John is him trying to exhort the church, trying to tell the church, hey, you're not doing the right thing. And it was for them. It wasn't for us. There is no church of Philippi. There is no church of Ephesus. There are none of those things. It was for that time. And he was trying to exhort the church. The Holy Spirit was telling him. And then John was shown the great revelation. And that's when John became John the Revelator. You remember that song? Some of y'all do. I don't know. I, I remember y'all used to sing it when I first came to, to VCF. and John the Revelator. And, you know, John was the beloved. He was the elder. And then he was the revelator. But you know, John didn't become the revelator until he almost died. See, our call, our ability to be with the things that God is telling us we may think to ourselves, well, God's never called me or God's never put this or I have this in my heart. You ain't dead yet. There's a lot more time. There's a lot more things to do. I mean, we've got a lot of things to do, guys, before, before Jesus comes back. There's, there's a lot more life coming on. There's people that need to be taught. There are things that God has put in our hearts that he's not done yet. He's not done yet. You may be 80 years old and all of a sudden God goes, hey, go over here and start this ministry. Hey, go over here and talk to these people. It could be tomorrow. But I want you to understand John is showing us that there is no boundary in our age. There is no boundary in our cause because they continually come. 
and they continually become an impact. Do you know that if I can do one thing to affect my kids that I can't see right now, which I believe I have, I believe that Heather and I have put in our kids in ways that are going to affect generation after generation. And I don't see the outcome or the fruit of all the things that are going to happen. But if we were just to do that, and it affects three and four generations from now, do you know that that's worth it? You know it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it for me to be a grandpa one day and to be able to tell my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren about Jesus and to say the world cannot come and touch you as long as you've become a part of the family of Jesus. We're not done yet. I can still put more in. I can still, when my grandkids come with my great-grandkids, and guess what? I can do it with Harper. I can do it. I can do it with all the other kids that are going to come into this ministry. We're not done yet. Matt and Amy, y'all have a ministry that is beyond ministries. It's going to affect generation after generation after generation. You're not done yet. Kaylee and Caleb, y'all have a future. It's not done yet. Heather, we have a future. We're not done yet. Mom and Dad, y'all have a future. You're not done yet. You're going to have great-grandkids. You're going to have people that you're already putting into in your work. You're not done yet. Raymond Charlie, you're not done yet. Joanne, you got a whole family. you got friends. you got all these people. You're not done yet. Carol, you have Harper. You have all the people that you affect. You're not done yet. We are not done. And I refuse to listen to it. I refuse to hear people say, well, I just don't feel like I used to feel. Guess what? It ain't about what you feel. It's about what the heck is about to happen. Put your foot down and say, nope, I'm going to carry on. What if they break my leg? Put it back in place and we'll just... I get a prosthetic if I have to, and I'll hop around on one foot until I'm 90 years old. You know, we're not done yet. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear that I'm too old. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I'm going to start telling you, if I ever hear it from you, I'm going to say, no, you're not. Because John was doing it at 90. Might need to get some boiling oil and just let's see what happens. Maybe that's what it does. Maybe that's what helps you along after a certain amount of time. You might get in there and say, whoo, I better get up and start moving around. But you know what? We're not done yet. In fact, it said here in Revelations, it says to him in, ver in verse 5, it says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood and has made us kings and priests to his God, to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Y'all are kings and your priests. And he has made y'all to be dominion. See, that was the thing. 
Domitian, I love the way he used that word dominion because domitian means dominion. It's a derivative of the word. Everything John was doing in the book of Revelations was coming back and going, Domitian's not God. You've been made kings and priests. You have dominion. Domitian does not. See, you have dominion over all the crazy woke crap that's coming into the earth. In fact, we need more people that have, that have the truth to go. That's not true. When somebody comes in and says something that's just completely false, you just go, no, it's not true. Because they have nothing to stand on. The truth of God's word will stand forever. You just go, no, it's not true. Don't debate. Revelate. Amen. 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 Well, I'm finishing up right here. But I feel like that I should just pray over us because I think that there is a force that is coming at us more and more and more. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us two different ways. I'm going to pray that if people that are listening to this, if they've heard this, that if they're like, you know what, I just don't have Jesus in my heart. I'm going to pray for, for salvation first. And then I'm going to pray over us that are Christians, that are calling in the place that we have right now, that we fulfill those things and that we get it out of our mind that we're done. Amen? Amen. Everybody bow your heads. Father, we come to you in Christ Jesus' name. I just pray right now with the people that say, maybe I don't know who Jesus Christ is, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's very simple. All you have to do is just believe that Jesus was born and that he was raised from the dead and that he gave his life for your sins and that his blood washed away all of your sins. And then you just say, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. So I pray this with you. Pray this with me. Father, we come to you in Christ Jesus' name. And Father, I know that Jesus is my Lord. Jesus, I bring you into my heart and now you have remade me a new creature in Christ Jesus. I believe that you rose from the dead and that you washed all of my sins away and that it is done in Jesus' name. And right now I pray over everyone in here. I pray for the people who are listening on our podcast I pray right now and believe this with me, stand in agreement with it, that in the name of Jesus, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper and that all false teaching shall be found out and that we have by the Holy Spirit the, the words and the, the phrasing and the things that need to be said in order to be able to pierce people's hearts, to be able to show out that this is not of God that these woke ideas, that these false teachings, that these things that people say are science that are not, that they will come to fruition, that they are found out to be false. And right now in the name of Jesus, I just pray that we, are, that we, have, that we have dominion as kings and priests over these people to be able to bring them into the kingdom to be able to speak into their lives, 
to be able to give into their, their hearts, into their minds, and into their souls. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope y'all learned something today. Amen. Love y'all. Have a good week.